He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, he's outspoken. You will tell your kids, and your grandkids, and your great, great grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise, and he was the greatest world heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas, and you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. show this is anymore but uh we'll get rolling into it right here right now welcome back this is episode number 56 of the triple threat podcast being brought to you today here on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire if you didn't know by now my name is chad and as always i'm joined by my tag team partner on the two-man power trip the one and only jp john paz and on this show we welcome back in the traveling man the man who is always up to something and doing something and somewhere and we are just so happy that he's back with us again this week he is the one and only our co-host the great franchise shane douglas shane welcome back and i hope that your feet are finally grounded well first of all apologies to you guys and all the fans out there that my travel schedule just didn't permit us to record last week but i can tell you one thing that i've learned here and I, you know it's pretty hard to teach a guy my age and thing the sahara desert and the middle of July is incredibly, incredibly hot. So if you're planning on vacationing there anytime in the middle of July, I wouldn't go because from my experiences last week in the middle of the Sahara, not an oasis to be found. I wouldn't go. Stick to Disney World. <laughs> the happiest place on earth, uh, Disney World. Yeah. Uh, whether it's Orlando or California, those places are hot, but the Sahara Desert, Jesus Christ. I don't know if you could get yeah, lost in there, but how'd you end up in the Sahara? Jesus. I just sort of wandered off. You know, you said about Disney being the happiest place on the on the on the planet, unless your last name is Gunn, right? <laughs> <laughs> then, may, then maybe not quite so happy. But uh, no, I just sort of just went out wandering and jumped on the plane and took me where it was going to take me. And I got off and just wandered around. Before I realized, I was looking around and thinking, "Well, there, I don't see any trees and buildings and a hell of a lot of sand." <laughs> <laughs> the middle of the Sahara. Wow, that's pretty amazing, Shane. You know, it, it's so great to have you back here and obviously to get rolling again. I mean, we were definitely within uh, some uh, withdrawal territory of uh, getting the show recorded. <laughs> so what we decided to do is we kept the same format that we had for last week because in terms of the wrestling news, uh, you know, I mean, we cover news a lot on the show, but there really hasn't been that much of a change. But the big stuff we want to talk about, thankfully, we can still get to this week. But we want to get into it first here 
to reveal the poll results that we had uh, stemming from our poll to record our next theme episode, which will be next week, episode number 57. And two weekends ago on Twitter, we threw out a poll that had four choices, and we kept three of the first original ones that we threw out there and added a fourth. And uh, uh, son of a gun, the uh, the fourth choice, the new one to the list, is the one that took the cake. And next week, we will be covering the franchise Shane Douglas and the Pitbull Gary Wolf saga, something I know very near, wow. near and dear to your heart because, man, you turned out to be a pretty friggin' bad guy, and we're going to get into that next week as we talk about the Gary Wolf saga. But yeah, I, I'm a, I'm surprised because throughout my career, I was known as a technician in the ring. You know, you go out, you break one neck, and 30 plus years break one neck, and all of a sudden, that's all people want to talk about your entire career. It's uh, it's astounding. I mean, but no, all, all kidding aside, uh, you know, the Gary Wolf segment, as we'll get into next week, was a pretty momentous period in ECW history. And I think in wrestling history, because it, it, it was what should be done, how you should play with something that happens like it always can in wrestling. And, uh, I, I think Paul Heyman wrote some brilliant, brilliant stuff and gave us all brilliant direction on a play off of that. So we'll get into that next week. And, uh, I figured when I saw that one added to the list that that would probably jump to the head of the class. Uh, so next week, uh, episode 57, we'll have a lot of fun talking about me and Gary Wolf and the entire broken neck angle. Yeah, I can't wait. I mean, watching it as a viewer, I mean, I have my, my nice uh, memory that I can go off of, but going back to research some of these things, I just can't wait to start watching them and seeing the promos and the drama and the saga and Francine and all the stuff that you guys did. It's, uh, it's going to be a hell of a walk down memory lane for sure, but I got to tell you something, uh, secretly... The one that I wanted to win, and I'm just curious as hell to hear which ones we would pick, is the guest stars of ECW. I don't know why. That one really sticks out to me uh, because there were so many cool little cameos that popped up in ECW yeah. that uh, I'd love to hear some of those backstories. So I don't know. Maybe uh, that one might live to fight another day here. Well, there, and that's the interesting part about that one is almost every one of those uh, quote-unquote special guest stars, there is a substantial backstory uh they, they didn't just come because we wanted them or uh you know that either the big promotions were being nice or polite they didn't give a shit about ecw so there's a substantial portion of backstory to each one of those special guests that i'm sure we'll get into at some point <laughs> there's one with a guy who wears a toothpick behind his ear that i'm uh, i'm dying to get the story from you about uh <laughs> So he might be on the top of that list, but uh, whenever that episode comes about, we'll definitely uh, we'll get into it. But yeah, Gary Wolf finally addressing on the show a, a topic so so shockingly after only a year, you know, we've been doing this and we didn't really broach it at all. And uh, I know when John and I were kind of shooting some things off each other, it was the the rightful choice to uh, to add to the list. But John, I know you're you're just in the same class as I am with those guest stars of ECW, just because uh, there's so many of them that are so damn intriguing because whenever somebody popped up in ECW like that, it was like, damn, wow. Then I throw them into the mix, and now ECW is an even bigger force. Yeah, think about Pillman, who we just talked about not too long ago. One that really resonated with me because it was such a shocker because you never thought he'd be an ECW, a guy like Sid. That was just something that was crazy. And I remember... There was a chant, ECW, ECW. All of a sudden, it gets drowned out by a Sid chant. So stuff like that always uh, intrigues me. Hopefully, 
one day in the not so distant future we can talk to Shane about Sid and some of the other guest stars of ECW. And I'm sure there's probably a, a nice little topic in there too of the guest stars that didn't make it into ECW that almost did. So that's another one that we'll uh, we'll tackle whenever that one comes back on the docket because it will be. We're going to keep the same three choices that didn't get picked, which was the guest stars of ECW. Shockingly, the night the line was crossed. I can't believe that hasn't been picked. And then what was the third one? I, I'm drawing a blank, John. What was the other choice that we had on there? The other choice, what the heck was it? That's a good that's a good question. Well, obviously, it's, it's not getting picked right now if it's not going to be something we can remember off the top of our head. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we'll get to that. But we love having the fan interaction. And we had more votes this time than we did the first time. Oh, so obviously, Shane's debut. That's what it was. Shane's debut. Oh, that's got no impact on ECW's history either. So I'm glad <laughs> yeah. that one didn't get picked. Oh, forget that. That's fine. Come on, fans. What are you doing here? But we'll keep it on the list. I don't know if Shane did that have an impact. I don't know. What do you think? You you were there. You lived it. So you tell me. It, well, you know, it was uh, lo- looking back as a bookend uh, from an ECW <laughs> point of view. Uh, there was, you know, that first time and it had a very uh, lackluster feel to it. it. It felt very much like a low end independent show, uh, and that was with. Tito Santana and Terry Funk and Kevin Sullivan and Don Morocco and, you know, this long list of uh, uh, Jimmy Snook and this long list of wrestling luminaries, but the production values were down. Uh, It it just lacked something. And then shortly after that, you know, the story goes, you know, Paul Heyman takes over after Eddie's ignominious end in ECW, Eddie Gilbert, that is. And suddenly this company goes on, a, a place that Terry Funk and I never saw it go on. Uh, the first time I saw Terry Funk uh, at, at an ECW show, we were picked up at the airport and on the way to the hotel. He asked me, how long do you think we'll ride this train before it runs off the track, Shane Owen? You know, both of us, after kicking it back and forth, figured it'd be like three, two or three months and, and on to the next thing. So none of us had seen what was coming with ECW. And uh, it's one of those things where I think all the stars lined up right and the business in general, overall, had reached a point where I think fans were sick of the cartoon characters, sick of the child, uh, childish style angles and uh, type presentation and matches. Uh, and, and suddenly here was this new creature, this new beast that was completely different than anything anybody had seen. And uh, much like I think we're seeing today, you know, the, the wheels have gone with, We've gone round and round enough that we've gone right back to the starting points, like, you know, walk around the earth. You know, if you go long enough, sooner or later, you'll get to where you started. And I think we're right back to where we started in 1991-92 that gave rise to ECW in the first place, the industry sitting right in the exact same spot. And we'll tackle that in just a little bit here because something you've always talked about, those declining ratings. I mean, declining to a point that here in 2018, I mean... It's unfathomable how far it's dropped, and we'll get to that in a little bit here because there's a couple other things I want to get to first, but uh, you, you hit the nail right on the head. That cartoonish era almost feels like it's still around today, um, but we'll get to that here in a couple minutes. Now, I want to also throw out there that Pittsburgh was the home of WWE's Extreme Rules last Sunday, and obviously, Pittsburgh being the home of the franchise, 
you were around the area. You were able, were able to stop in. You did a podcast right outside the arena. So you were in there. Shane, what was the vibe of the, the people in Pittsburgh last weekend with this pay-per-view in town? You know, people that have known me and followed my career will think I'm taking a shot. Uh, I'm telling you the straight-out shoot. Um, we were literally 40 feet across the street, across Fifth Avenue from the PPG Arena, which is the, I still say Civic Arena. It's just different, with a different building, but anybody from Pittsburgh still says Civic Arena when they talk about the big arena. Uh, but PPG Arena, uh, we were literally right across Fifth, uh, Fifth Avenue. And from where we were sitting on the terrace on the fourth floor, it sits right across from the corner of the building, which would be the west side and uh, south side of the building. And, you know, so from that point of view, you could get a pretty good look-see. You know, most of the parking and everything is either on Fifth Avenue or down to the uh, west side. So anybody that was coming to the arena, you would see pretty much walking by there. Uh, to the north and east would be where the old Civic Arena was, and it's mostly just, you know, hotels and stuff like that now. So uh, I thought we had a pretty good vantage point on where uh, where the fans would be coming from. And as we were preparing to do the podcast and then started the podcast, I would occasionally see a group of five or ten people crossing the street or, you know, 15 or 20 here and there. But there was never a point where I saw that throng of people that are so familiar to any wrestling fan that's been to a big event uh, outside the arena. <clears throat> In fact, whenever I left, uh, it was shortly after 6 o'clock, maybe 6.15, and as I was driving down Fifth Avenue, I'd parked up behind the venue and came down parallel to Fifth, Fifth Avenue and then down to Fifth Avenue and, and cut up to get home. And I was stunned at how light it was. I, you know, I had no idea that what, you know, that they had had a pre-show or their pre-matches started sometime after six o'clock. And I garnered from that, just taking a stab in the dark that the audience was going to be pretty thin. And I, I had heard, uh, in fact, I think from JP that they were announcing that they had done immediately after the show, like 14,000 plus people. Now, <laughs> The word I've gotten from multiple people that were in the building <clears throat> at the event said it was 5,000 or less. Uh, I don't know. Well, have they given an official number yet? I'm curious. They did end up saying it was 14,000 plus. Which I kind, <laughs> of have a hard, I kind of have a hard time believing that. Well, you know, that, that would be the first, that would be a first in Pittsburgh then because that would mean that everybody there was pregnant with at least twins. And <laughs> then, then you would get to that 14,000 number. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't see any video from it, but again, I spoke to probably eight or 10 people that were at the event and they said it was pretty sparse going inside. So, you know, in a, in a venue that holds 18,000, <clears> 800 people, you know, 5,000, four, five, 6,000, looks pretty sparse. Uh, 14,000 would look fairly full. And I'm sure the, even the average fan that can't immediately give you a head count on an audience would know the difference of 14,000 or 5,000 or less. Uh, so 
I'm going to go out on a limb here and say the WWE is fucking lying through their teeth. But, <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I'd be partial, right? <laughs> do they uh, do they count the network subscribers as people in the building now? Is that what they're trying to do? Is that like some <laughs> kind of weird weird mathematics? <laughs> yeah, but but only the ones that are still currently buying. So the ones that if you bought it six, you know, five months ago or six, seven, eight months ago or three years ago. You're still getting counted, but at, for this, for an official headcount, for a live event, they only count the ones that are currently paying the ten dollars a month. You know, and I I don't get it because I feel like you know I come off sounding like such an old codger and like I'm bitter. I, I don't watch the product <laughs> anymore. I, I read what I read for the show. I follow what's going on in the business for the business trends. Uh, but besides that, I mean, it's just it's a product that's just not for me. Um, and this is a guy who grew up with the cartoony era. Who literally will pop on, you know, a superstars from uh, 1989 and watch it like I did on Saturday morning in 1989 with my jaw open, watching these larger than life stars. I, I can't watch it today. So the fans that were there, and and I got a chance to listen to a little bit of the show that you did while you were um, attending the event outside of the arena, and it just seems like the people who are are talking about the product and are still saying the same things that we are, but they're a little bit more invested into the actual day-to-day stuff. And I know JP keeps up on it more than, uh, than anybody, but I don't know. I just can't see anybody getting excited to attend a live event when you can just watch it on the network anymore. You're not missing anything. And especially, I don't know if you really got, saw the details of it, Shane, but in the fans legitimately hijacked this very odd main event of Dolph Ziggler and Seth Rollins in an Iron Man match. Uh, for the Intercontinental Championship, only the second time the Intercontinental Championship has uh, main evented a show or a quote pay per view, um, but the fans hijacked the show, so they can't be that interested. So why even go to the event? Right. Well, you know, th- this this goes back to when you know we years ago we're talking about when when the WWE first started. It's in the industry, not just the WWE, but the NWA or WCW, whoever it was at that time. <clears throat> when it went from the once a year to four times a year to 12 times a year. They kept trying to work to find what is the sweet number? How much will wrestling fans keep digging into their pocket and bringing it out? And when Vince started doing his pay-per-views and started making them look just like a Monday Night Raw, uh, to me, that took all the special quality away from it. You know, now it looks just like the show I watch for free every Monday night. And pretty much the matches are the same or, you know, the, same caliber so why spend all this money to buy the pay-per-view and and i think it's pretty much where we are today uh you know it just looks like something else that you see so much of that it's hard to sit there and 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 gauge yourself and say we're going to invest you know whether it's ten dollars a month or you're going to buy the pay-per-view through the cable company for whatever reason to do that uh it, it really makes you wonder i don't know i can't answer but it seems to me that they're that they're failing their fans in a big way yeah and John, this question is for you because this is going right to exactly what you used to do. If you take ECW, WCW, and the WWF in one given month back in, say, 98, 99, what are you paying per month for those shows? Pay-per-view-wise? Pay-per-view-wise. Probably 90 bucks. Okay. Somewhere around there, 90 to 100 bucks. So for $90 in 1998, 1999, you're getting... Three, six, about almost nine hours worth of content. I know WCW used to go over <laughs> a lot. So, I Sometimes, mean, yeah. yeah, you're getting nine plus hours of content and you're paying almost $100. I, 
I bet you if this was 1998 and there was a WWE network or a WCW network or an ECW network, fans would still pay $100 a month back then. It's unfathomable that you have to wrestle $10 a month out of people these days. It's I just can't wrap my head around it because the product is not representative of what you're you're getting. You know what I mean? Right. Well, back then and even now, but especially back then, when you know, let's say the 90 bucks a month that 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 uh, JP threw out. You know, when you ask an average American family to on a month-to-month basis spend $90, I know for a billionaire uh, who's lived a lavish lifestyle of entire adult life, doesn't understand that there are many families that struggle month to month to make a Duquesne light bill here in Pittsburgh or, you know, their cell phone bill or put gas in the car to get to and from work and get the kids to and from school. 90 bucks is a significant amount of money. But the question I've always had is from the flip side, from the business side, if you used to dish out 90 bucks a month, or let's say you just bought the WWF, brand or WWE, whatever you call it, uh, version of that pay-per-view and you spent $49.59. Well, uh, if you can, if you're only spending 10 now, uh, why you would is beyond me, but if you're only spending 10 now, where are they making that money up? We've seen a precipitous drop in the overall number of people watching that product precipitous to the tune of 95%. So not only are you losing on the on the volume, but you're losing big time on the forty nine or fifty nine dollars a month that you pay for the pay per view uh, when you do buy it. So uh, you know, I, I think the, the question that CM Punk asked what two or three years ago when he left there uh, was spot on. How are you going to make up for this difference that we're going to be losing in a significant portion of our income? And I don't think that answer that, that question has yet been answered in any satisfactory way to the, to the guys that are there. Uh, you know, it's a conundrum. Like I said before we came on the air, you know, Vince, it's hard to argue with success. Anytime somebody has continued success in a certain area, the, the, the people that don't quite understand the forest of the trees will say, well, he just sold it for 1.2 billion to Fox and three times the amount to NBC universal and ergo, he's putting on a perfect show that's appealing to everybody because he wouldn't have gotten those numbers. Uh, I would disagree because you know, I, I, I see, I'm close enough that I can see the, the trees from the forest. But uh, the, you know, when you're looking at the numbers, like I said, the 95% drop in the overall viewership of wrestling in America from say 1994 to now, and then the drop in the amount that you're able to get from the fans that are still hanging on and watching that product. I don't think that CM Punk's question has ever been answered or it could be answered. And the question that I would have if I was there wrestling is how much money is my contract going up because of these two huge television deals Vince just signed? Uh, that remains to be seen. But like, you know, the old saying goes, I wouldn't hold my breath. <laughs> Hey, God forbid Joey Styles tells you on a pay-per-view that if you send your uh, your bill in, you can get an ECW inflatable, you know, uh, beach, you know, floaty. Then <laughs> then all hell's breaking loose in your house because you're trying to find a damn cable bill. Yeah, yeah, right. It's, uh, you know, it, it's it, the, the one, like, if you take a step away from all this and you look at the industry just as it exists today, and then you transport yourself back to the mentality of the 90s looking forward to today there was nobody 
fan or wrestler that could perceive where the industry would be going. And I don't mean in numbers. I mean in the way it's delivered to the fans. You know, I, we used to get ours through a cable. And before that, when I was a kid, way before you guys, uh, was with Rabbit Ears out of Pittsburgh. Um, now my kids can watch pretty much anything they want at the touch of a button on their tablet or their cell phones. Uh, just a completely different way of approaching, just like newspapers. You know, I, I, my dad's generation, my generation couldn't fathom a time when newspapers wouldn't be around ubiquitously. And suddenly we're seeing less and less of them. Um, but I still don't think that some of those fundamental questions have been answered from, from a wrestler's point of view. We make our living based off of the events that we're at, based off of the pay-per-views that we're at, based off the merchandise we're selling. It only stands the reason by just general logic. If you're suddenly now selling to 5% of what we used to sell to, or the industry used to sell to, and Part of that is based off of you giving it away for $10 per head for everything, as opposed to the $39, $49, $59 that WWE used to charge for a pay-per-view. And it doesn't take a math genius. It doesn't take an Albert Einstein to figure out that the money's going to be dropping somewhere, except in one person's pocket. Yeah, exactly. And great, uh, great analogy with the newspaper, because uh, today out of New York, the New York Daily News cut 50% of its newsroom staff. And that, and it affected somebody that I know. It's, uh, it's quite a shame, but you're exactly right. Exactly what you said. It's, uh, times are changing. That's for damn sure. Yeah, faster than most of us probably care to, <laughs> care to see. But it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see. But we, we continue forwarding for. Here's the one, certainly, like I said, at the outset of this pay-per-view. The sun's going to come up tomorrow, and, and tomorrow's going to come. So we're going to get to see what tomorrow brings. <laughs> exactly. Now, I got to say, we've both been very, very intrigued by this. And you teased this on Twitter two weeks ago. You said you had a story about the Trenton CYO <laughs> that I got to tell you, we've been dying to hear now. This all started because uh, a fan on Twitter shared one of those just so awe-striking, old-school, on-the-telephone pole, in-your-delis, uh, corner-window posters <laughs> of ECW at the Trenton CYO, a building that you guys would run all the time. Sure. And I, I have no idea wh where you're going with this, but I'm dying to hear it. So, Shane, please, whatever this story is, enlighten us. We've been dying to hear it. <laughs> well, you know, we typically Chris Candido and, and Sonny, Tammy, would come down, you know, and spend the weekend in Philadelphia when we were running shows in Philadelphia and like Trenton or, you know, other places that we'd run close by. So we would, me and Francine and uh, Chris and Tammy would typically connect up and drive over to, to Trenton together. So, you know, as we're leaving the building, you know, we, we left in our gear because it was only about an hour trip back to Philadelphia. And we wanted to get out of the building before the crowd let out. And so we get in the car and we drive away and, and we see a bar on the, you know, the, the side of the road right before we get on the highway. And once you're on the highway, you know, you're, you're dry until you get to Philadelphia. So I said, you know, let's pull in there and grab a six-pack real quick. So Chris and I get out in our wrestling gear, and we saunter into the bar. And uh, Tammy and Francine stayed in the car. And we go in, and we're sitting there, and, you know, I walk in. And I'm, like, trying to see without my glasses what's in the case, what do they have available, that kind of thing. And, you know, we're sitting there, and, you know, we ordered, and, you know, I'm sitting waiting for the guy to put it together. And I realized it got, like, real quiet when we walked in. You know, and I thought, well, okay, we're in our wrestling gear. It does sort of look odd. 
and just an average bar around town. And uh, so we're looking around and, you know, right, almost simultaneously, like Chris gave me the elbow. Because I'm thinking to myself, I'm looking around, as, right as he's giving me the elbow, I'm looking around, I'm thinking, well, like, there's a guy and a guy sitting together. And over here, across from us, is a guy and a guy sitting together. Here's a guy. And, a guy. and I begin to realize there's no guys and women sitting together. It's just all guys and guys and guys and guys and guys and guys. And right as Chris nudges me, like by the light bulb in my head goes on, like, holy shit, this ain't a straight bar. <laughs> There's the two of us sitting there in our wrestling gear, right, looking probably as, as like like the, the proverbial steak on a platter, you know, to to uh, to some of the uh, customers that may have been there that day. And uh, just one of those things, like Chris, you know, for anybody that knows Chris or knew Chris, uh, you know, Chris had one of those like you know, not very confrontational guy. Uh, and, you know, was not going to say two words, boo to anybody. And, and so like, we couldn't get that six pack and get out the door fast enough. Once, you know, once the two of us numbskulls like together, like two, the two of us put together, we had a pretty good IQ of about 95, maybe a hundred if we cracked it, cracked <laughs> it well. So we, we put two and two together and figured it was time to get the, uh, two thirds of the triple threat the hell on the road and out of there. <laughs> hey, good thing you probably had that fanny pack on, right? Hell yeah, the ubiquitous. Hey, hey look, everybody <laughs> asks about the fanny pack all the time. I never had a little side sojourn here for a second. Bradley Cooper is widely recognized as being one of the hottest guys in Hollywood, right? One of the, uh, the, the America's sexiest men and all that. As is, who's the guy that, what's the other guy's name? The, uh, all right, all right, all right. What's that guy's name? Oh, McConaughey, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, yeah, Matthew McConaughey, right, same thing. I I would push all of our viewers to Google right now when you get done listening to this podcast, Google Matthew McConaughey fanny pack or Google Bradley Cooper fanny pack, and you'll see two of the sexiest men in America as found by People Magazine or one of those magazines. You'll see both of them strutting their full leather fanny packs out of franchise. I, for one, will say, never left. Been here <laughs> since the 90s and ain't going no place soon. Now, I believe if we also type in franchise fanny pack that there was a poll out at some bar right outside the Trenton CYO that uh, <laughs> <laughs> that had Shane Douglas and Chris Candido on the top of that list, too. <laughs> You're probably right about that. You know, it's... <laughs> Hey, you take fame anywhere you can find it, right? Exactly. But you know, but that's one of those buildings. You think about ECW, you think about watching the graphics in between the commercials and seeing where you guys were going to go. And since ECW was so specific to certain areas, you know, we could see when ECW was going down to Tampa or we could see when ECW was going up to Massachusetts and we'd get to know mm-hmm. some of those venues. But obviously, you know, John and I live in New Jersey. We know Trenton. We know the Trenton CYO. It's uh, got a large history within uh wrestling uh especially wrestling in trenton as roots going back all the way to the uh to the early 50s and it's it's something that's pretty special if you think about it but a building like the trenton cyo is this a building you you cared to go to every month or was this just another stop on the old ecw house show tour that you guys just hit and it was just another building well we we didn't hit it monthly but we we did once we started running uh we we ran it uh, fairly regularly and and always did very well there. Uh, you know, it was the oddity about the uh, the, the, the Trenton uh, CYO as I can remember was that the, the parking was a problem. 
Uh, it was the CYO sort of sat in the middle of the street, as I remember, uh, you know, a pretty busy street. And there was some parking near it, like parking garage and stuff, but it wasn't the kind of building you could pull up to the back of and walk in with your bags. And, you know, so there were some logistical problems with it, but the crowds there were always fantastic. And they were always just as live as they were anywhere else for ECW. And it became a regular stop to us at a certain point, but only for a window. Like in my head, I'm, I'm remembering that, you know, we hit it pretty regularly for a period. And then all of a sudden it was no longer there. And I don't know if that was because the local promoter that was promoting that show was or wasn't any longer with ECW or, or whatever. But, you know, my memories of, of the, uh, 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 the Trenton CYO was that it was always a damn good house. Uh, and the fans there were always incredibly lively and, you know, you could always get great feedback from the fans there. Very, very cool stuff. But Shane, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world of current wrestling. And I know you saw this and I know this kind of made your, uh, you know, yourself peak up a little bit and, Definitely we're interested in this. New Japan and Ring of Honor announced a dual show that will take place in Madison <laughs> Square Garden, April 6, 2019, during WrestleMania weekend. It'll actually be the day before WrestleMania. And it was now it has come to everyone's understanding that it was MSG that was really pushing Ring of Honor and New Japan to do the show there because WWE didn't have any shows WrestleMania weekend involving MSG. No Hall of Fame there, no... Um, NXT there, no access there. So I guess they kind of felt slighted a bit that they were doing everything in Brooklyn, doing everything at the Barclays, and then obviously WrestleMania itself will be in New Jersey at MetLife Stadium. But what are your initial thoughts and, and this kind of huge, groundbreaking event that ROH and New Japan will be wrestling or having a huge wrestling show at the hollowed Mecca, Madison Square Garden? Well, it's a huge dent in the WWE, right? No matter how you slice huge. it, uh, you know, they, they had been successful for decades of keeping anybody else out of that main hall. And, uh, you know, I, I always thought, you know, even back in the 90s and even 80s before that, you know, how are they able to, I mean, you know, in a laissez-faire economy, you own a building, as long as you're renting it out, anybody should be able to rent that building. But the WWE had always structured their contracts that they didn't want anybody competitive in there for, I think it was 90 days before, 90 days after. So, you know, you do some quick math, you figure if you do three or four events there a year, that pretty much locks that building out to anybody. And that, to find out that MSG was the one pushing for this, I think they probably started to get the, the idea that, you know, they didn't, you know, there was no reciprocity in this loyalty pact that, you know, Vince apparently thought he had with them. Uh, you know, look, in, in the over and under, I don't think it does a thing to harm WWE business. Uh, if anything, I think it helps it because you're bringing in, you know, for the, those of us that are professional wrestling fans, New Japan right now is probably putting on the best product in the world as far as professional wrestling goes. And Ring of Honor has got its solid group of followers. So for the two of them to put on a show in, you know, what could be argued to be back the backyard of Ring of Honor, uh, I, I think it's it's a boon for the fans. That's who wins. WWE doesn't lose a thing. If they run a show in there the next week, the next month, a month and a half later, there's not anybody going to say, I'm not going to go see that show now because Ring of Honor and New Japan were just here. MSG wins because they've got now multiple 
tenants by renting their hall. The fans win because they have the option of getting the best product that they want to pay to go see. So I don't see a downside to this other than if you're somebody who's afraid to put your product in real competition. You'd have to ask Vince the answer, the ultimate answer to that. But I, I don't see a downside to it to anybody, Vince included or his company included. It is crazy that basically 60 years, nobody has run MSG but the WWE. I mean, it's just insane. Think about it. That's, you know, Jess McMahon, Vince McMahon Senior. I mean, there's just been all McMahons for the last. You know, five decades or whatever, whatever you want to say, let's six decades, uh, 60 years. Basically, no one has been able to do it. Do you think that Vince is pissed or what? Well, I'm sure he's not happy. You know, you know, sometimes when a billionaire doesn't get his way <laughs> or get somebody, the person he wants to make kiss his ass, kiss his ass, they sort of feel like somebody's pissed in their punch. Uh, at least in my experience of being around all the billionaires that I've been around. Uh, you know, so. Again, it's irrelevant. You know, this is an industry. This is a business. And so you can't fault MSG for looking for another tenant when they're not, they being WWE, not spending any time or money in that venue. So what is Madison Square Garden uh, Corporation just supposed to sit on a big empty building and hope and pray and cross their fingers that Vince will come back next week, next month, or next year? Uh it's good for everybody. I, I'm a firm believer in a laissez-faire economy. Uh, if you and I are both producing whatchamacallits, and you produce the whatchamacallits for much cheaper than I can do it at the same quality, put me out of business, and you should. Uh, my guess is the competition will spur me to do mine better and cheaper to stay in business. But with no competition, the customer has no choice but to take my whatchamacallits or leave it. And same thing with, with uh, Madison Square Garden uh, uh, Corporation or entity. They have a building. They have bills to pay that come in every month. The lighting bill comes in just like it does for your home. Uh, the tax bill comes in just like it does for your home. Uh, and so that building sitting empty on any given night is just them losing money. So you can't fault them for going out and taking any other wrestling or every other wrestling they can get their hands on especially if the WWE is not going to be spending the revenue there and, and putting the limelight in it. So uh, to me, it, it doesn't surprise me at least. You can see the what Madison Square Garden got for their loyalty to the WWE, the WWF, and the WWF before that for 60 years. In the end, the over and under was it got them nothing. Uh, so they all they've done over the last 60 years it's cut themselves out of alternate revenue sources by being loyal to the WWE. And in the end, ultimately, that meant nothing. So, uh, but again, this does nothing to harm WWE, does nothing to hurt MSG. It does nothing to hurt the fans. If anything, it helps MSG. It helps the, the fans. It helps Ring of Honor in New Japan. And I believe the competition will be good for the WWE if Vince takes it as that. That's the big question, the big if. Apparently, the MSG building itself is expensive to run, and that's why WB hasn't really been running there a lot. They prefer the Barclays Center in Brooklyn because it's newer, and, and, and I guess it's the you know kind of like the 
fashionable, trendy thing to do is to, to go to Brooklyn and do there. It might be cheaper, but it is the Mecca. It is their home. It's like what people consider to be the place to wrestle. So I just find it interesting that WWE couldn't find one thing to do during this gigantic WrestleMania weekend. Maybe just the Hall of Fame. Maybe NXT where they ran MS- MSG because how is ROH and New Japan not thinking that it's crazily expensive to run that building? Uh, well, absolutely. And, and you know, going back to the phrase you used, the mecca of professional wrestling. Who coined that phrase? <laughs> the mm-hmm. WWE is Gorilla mm-hmm. Monsoon, correct? So, yep. uh, you know, you, you know, here you are having this big weekend of events with this long history and association between the WWF, WWF, WWE, and Madison Square Garden Network. And, you know, having this big weekend, uh, really week-long events, and they can't find anything to put in there. You know, you, you, you maybe think of something you said about, like, the cost of the buildings in, you know, the Barclay Center and MSG. You know, I can understand for a company that just signed about $4.5 billion in television deals, why money would be a problem, uh, why they'd probably want to go to the cheap. They could probably find the YMCA for even cheaper. Uh, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's stunning, I, I, honestly. I, I mean, the more you try to figure this guy out, the more you keep coming up with, what the fuck? It just doesn't make any sense. And if you were a fly on the wall in Vince's office, my guess would be that somebody at Madison Square Garden didn't return his call quickly enough or didn't respond to an email from his office quickly enough or something so silly like that, completely human, uh, that's Vince's way of thinking, huh, I'm Vince man, I'll show them. And what he's done is he's given an open now to New Japan, who I think the New York area fans will love to see that product. And ancillary to New Japan, I think he's he's offered a huge opening uh, from his inaction to to competition right there in his own backyard. And it's funny. Several weeks ago on this show, we were talking about how Ring of Honor and New Japan were trying to run MSG. Looks like it was going to happen, and then the WWE came and they nixed it, and they somehow got them to not run it and then all of a sudden now you know several weeks later building up to basically last week they sealed the deal so something happened where wb definitely did try to block it and it just didn't work out for them what do you think happened behind the scenes there that maybe lawyers got involved or how do you think that it went from being blocked and there was no way they were running it to all of a sudden now they're able to run the show my educated guess would be it would not have been lawyers because if it were lawyers, when you challenge Vince with lawyers, he digs in his heels and says, let's fight. So I doubt that was it. My guess is, like I said, it was probably something as so silly and so normal as somebody didn't return a call quickly enough. Uh, I know that sounds trite, but that is probably what it was. I don't see anything else uh, sufficing in there because... You know, let's face it, it, when you think of the uh, professional wrestling in New York City, instantly your brain goes to the mecca of professional wrestling, Madison Square Garden. Uh, it is the place that they built up as being, in the Western Hemisphere, the number one venue. And you've been 60 years successful 
at keeping your competitions out. So I'm pretty sure that, you know, with the right phone call, with the right action, that Vince could have very easily gotten MSG to fall in line with him. Uh, this, to me, is more of a, a statement by Vince McMahon firing back to MSG than it is MSG or Ring of Honor or New Japan winning any legal battle or threatened legal battle. This is more, this is exactly the way that Vince McMahon handles business when he's finally finished with you, you know, or he thinks he's going to make a point to you. Um, you know, who knows? I mean, the fly on the wall, you have to be a fly on the wall in Vince's office to know the real truth, but I don't see it as being a lost legal battle by Vince because first of all, Vince could drag that something like that out for years if he wanted to, uh, it's it's going to end up with, if and when the story eventually leaks out, it will have been something that Vince turned his back to MSG and gave them no choice, as opposed to New Japan and Ring of Honor won some legal battle or something of that nature. We'll, we'll, but we'll see. I just wonder if they're going to sell out. You know what I mean? Like, will they actually be able to sell the building out. I know it's a huge show. I know there's going to be a ton of wrestling fans in the area. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were talking about hundreds of thousands. All in sold out about uh, 10 or 11,000 people in that building. But MSG holds about 20,000 to 21,000 people. I don't know if it'll sell. I'm, I'm thinking it will, and I'm hopeful that it will. And I think ROH and New Japan are going to put on a hell of a show. What are your thoughts? you think it's going to sell out? It'll depend on the card they put forward, but I mean, it's face it, New Japan for wrestling fans. Uh, New Japan has some of the most established stars and sought after stars in, in, in the wrestling industry today. And, you know, Ring of Honor has held its own through Sinclair Broadcasting for some time, and they've got quite a stable under their own, uh, under their own uh, roof. So I, I think being because there's going to be that many fans in that sort of general area uh, during that time, if they don't sell out, I think they've got a very good chance of selling out. But if they don't, it'll be damn close. And it'll be close enough for the fans to say, holy shit. Uh, here's one thing I'm sure of. It won't be PPG, Pittsburgh Arena, uh, 14,000 plus, quote unquote, uh, <laughs> appearance. It'll be... It'll be a substantial crowd there in New York City and very likely sell out. And kudos to both of them and best of luck to both of them. I think uh, the more competition in our industry, the better. Now, another huge bit of wrestling info that did come out of Pittsburgh, the hometown of the franchise, was that Hulk Hogan has been reinstated to the WWE and has been reinstated into the WWE Hall of Fame. Apparently was in Pittsburgh, had a little apology speech to the, basically, I guess, the crew and the wrestlers and the employees of the WWE about some of those quote-unquote racist comments that were made from that sex tape. But, Shane, what were your thoughts of hearing initially the reaction to the Hulkster being reinstated into the company that he basically put back on the map and made into a huge global phenomenon? Yeah, well, the first question would be, and you know, to me, I, I would ask, you know, why was he sanitized in the first place? Uh, you know, look, we all agree what he said was repulsive. Um, I think at that time, 
had he come out and thrown himself on the sword or been given the opportunity to come out and take ownership and prove through his words and his actions that none of all this was unnecessary, you know, a a bit overly dramatic, you know, we're going to sanitize him off all the tapes and take him out of the hall of fame and we're going to this and we're going to that. I mean, you know, so whichever way the wind blows, the political winds uh, decides on whether or not, Pete Rose gets in the Hall of Fame or not. And then once he's there, uh, somebody says, well, I remember him betting on a baseball game or a football game or a boxing match, and we take him out again until that blows over, and then we bring him back. It's it, enough already. You know, you, look, there's not a person listening to this podcast, and there's not a person walking this planet right now, breathing air, that hasn't said something in their past that offended somebody or would offend somebody. And so if that just becomes litmus test, uh, well, I've got a, I've got an audio of you two guys saying something you shouldn't have said. So now I'm going to get you both fired from your jobs and destroy your lives and your family's livelihood because you said this thing three years ago, five years ago, two months ago, whatever. Um, like much like we say, we made it, I, you know, I, I jokingly made a joke about, uh, uh, Gun, what's his name? Uh, Ed Gun, is it? Uh, the uh, James, the, the James Gun, the director of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, a phenomenal movie uh, franchise, very entertaining. Dave Bautista for wrestling fans, obviously part of it, and does a fantastic job uh, in, in those movies. You know, so this guy at some distant point in his past makes some unsavory jokes, uh, and suddenly he's fired from the uh, franchise. And he's come out and explained, from my understanding, uh, he's come out and explained that, you know, uh, this is a dark time in my life. I was much younger. Uh, I see the hurt that I've caused, and I've taken ownership of that. What more do you want the guy to do? Should he go commit suicide someplace and say, well, I said some horrible things 10 years ago or whatever the number of years ago is. And so, or should we just put him out on an island like like Elba Island, like uh, Napoleon and say, no ship stopped there. Let's never talk to this guy again. He's so bad. Um, look, I'll be the first to say I've made a lot of stupid mistakes in my life, and I've said probably more dumb things in my life, but no more than the average person, and no more than you were, JP, or the average person walking down the street. Uh, so where does it end? I mean, like, do we just every... Because here's the thing. If, if there is no end to it, if anything, we can dig out about your past is fair game to attack and destroy you with. Well, everybody better fasten the seatbelt and batten down the hatches because everybody out there has said something in front of somebody else that offended somebody or would offend somebody if it was known. And everybody's told a tasteless joke somewhere along the line, said a tasteless comment to somebody along the line. And, you know, for the vast majority of average human beings, I think, if I'm sitting with my buddies and we're having a beer and somebody makes a tasteless joke, I don't think anybody's going, oh, my God, my best friend who just gave that tasteless joke is a horrible human being. I better get up and leave this bar right now and get away from him. No, you, you, you understand it's a joke, first of all. Uh, and secondly, that compared to anybody, else, I always hear this thing about, you know, like fat shaming and all the rest of these different things. But then you turn right around and you hear something like Maxine Waters talk about 
if you see somebody who supports the president, gather a crowd and stop them from entering your restaurant, you're buying gas at your gas station, uh, entering your department store. To me, as a historian, a, a mid to late 60-something African-American woman who I'm certain remembers vividly lunch counter sit-ins in the, in the mid to uh, early to mid-60s when African-Americans were not allowed to sit at the lunch counter. Uh, does she not see the ignorance and the hypocrisy of that statement coming from her mouth? That if you see somebody that doesn't think and do like you do, then just deny them service, gather a crowd and chastise them and belittle them and attack them. Well, isn't that exactly what happened to African-Americans that couldn't sit at the lunch counter in the 40s, 50s, and 60s and before? So to hear this coming out of a, like I said, a mid-late 60s African-American woman's mouth is astounding. Now, do I say we should uh, uh, make her go out to the island and, and uh, you know, castigate her and she can never come back. She's now banished from the, from the, uh, the, the country. No, but swing that around as that door swing both ways. And I'm not so sure it does. Uh, it's just, uh, to me, I, I, I constantly keep thinking to myself, where has our country gone? It, it's, it's, it, we're off in insanity land, insanity land. Definitely. And I want to bring up, Titus O'Neill, the New Day, and the Pope in one second, but I do have to tie it into the New Japan Ring of Honor thing we were just talking about. Do you think at all that the news that that comes out and then all of a sudden Hogan's reinstated, do you think that it all ties into the fact that ROH and New Japan are going to be going MSG and there are rumors uh, in January about Hogan being part of the Tokyo Dome show and Possibly, maybe he was too expensive, or you know, whatever the issue was. New Japan was talking to Hogan, so I'm sure word gets to Vince that's doing that. All of a sudden, New Japan next year will be running MSG. Do you think at all? I mean, maybe I'm crazy here. Do you think at all the fact that New Japan and Ring of Honor are going to be at MSG has anything to do with Hogan getting reinstated pretty much right around that time? Well, I, I wouldn't think that that the MSG allowing Ring of Honor and New Japan to run there would have anything to do with that. Because, you know, if you know Vince's DNA, uh, like most of us wrestlers do, that would be the exact reason why he would not do it, uh, why he would not give in and submit. Um, but the, the possibility of Hulk Hogan ending up making a lot of money going and working for those guys could very likely have, have pushed his hand um, you know, it's, I've, I've got, you know, a lot of friends that have wondered the same thing. Like, why was he cast out in the first place? You know, so if, if you're just going to go and make your business decisions based off of whichever way the political winds are blowing today and next week they're blowing the other way. So we'll do something different the week after that, something different. And the week after that, something different you really then have no identity as a corporate entity. You, you know, you, you, you're suddenly just betrothed into whichever way the winds are blowing. And the one thing I will say about Vince 
is, you know, everybody knows my personal feelings for the guy. But Vince McMahon has never struck me as somebody that just bends to the political winds. Uh, he, if anything, he's always fought against that and, and tried to withstand against that. Uh, be that as it may at that particular point in time. So I would say that the most likely candidate is the, the thought that, that Hulk Hogan could be going and making a substantial amount of money working for a really, really hot promotion that's got a lot of history behind it, New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, as opposed to whether or not they're running MSG. Look, if Vince wanted to get into MSG and have something there, he could have done it very easily and almost seamlessly. It just seems to me that's more a fuck you to the MSG than it is anything else. Now, back to Hogan and the whole WWE reinstatement thing. Obviously, a lot of the guys backstage perceived to have an issue with it. The New Day, Titus O'Neil, mm-hmm. but they came out with statements. They basically said they don't care that he was reinstated. They just don't care to forgive Hogan, per se, and don't really want to have any relationship with him, but they don't really care. And that Titus O'Neil even, I, mean, I believe the New Day said the same thing, like, well, if, if you don't consider uh, Hogan, you know, one of the biggest stars ever, you're kind of foolish, and he should be considered when you're talking about the history, which they kind of wrote him off of, which was really strange of them. But um, they just said they're not going to forgive him. They're not going to really talk to him or whatever. But, of course, there was rumors that uh, Titus O'Neil wouldn't shake Hogan's hand. Then it came out that Titus O'Neil and Hogan didn't even – uh, come within you know close range of each other. Didn't even see each other basically. So it's one right. of those things. One of those things where obviously the internet kind of took it upon themselves and made up their own story. But what do you think about their comments? They're not going to forgive Hogan, but in actuality, they kind of don't care that he's back within WWE. Well, I mean, look, you, know, you hit the nail on the head a second ago when you said about the you know the internet you know taking making its own narrative. Uh, sadly, I think that's far too. Uh, uh, ubiquitous today and happening so you know a whiff of a story gets out there and suddenly within the next 32 and a half minutes there's 10,000 narratives from around the world and 10,000 different narratives and everything from good to bad to horrible and everything in between uh therein lies the problem with the internet uh you know somebody you know me sitting here in my home in beaver county pennsylvania it's awful easy for me to look at a snippet of you know, a sentence or two that I get on my news feed and say, well, I got all the news I need. I can form, formulate every finite opinion I'm going to have about that based off of that. It's ignorant. Um, but when you, I mean, let's look at Hulk Hogan. You know, we don't have to go into the impact he's been on wrestling. It has been a huge impact. And there have been very few, if any, that have exceeded that impact uh, in, in wrestling lore history. So I find it implausible that these youngish guys in the dressing room will not shake his hand or talk to him. I mean, if you're not even willing to talk to the guy, how can you even begin to assess whether you think the guy's sincere or not? And so, you know, it gets back to the same thing we keep talking about, like with the Maxine Waters and stuff. If if it's just a, all it takes is me to blurb out a, you know, a, 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 a phrase or a quote on the internet. And that's enough to solidify your opinion based on something I've told you. You're limiting yourself from a lot of information 
and probably going to make yourself look ignorant someplace along the line. Um, look, again, this, this is by no means a mea culpa for what Hulk Hogan said. Uh, like I said earlier, I, I think we're all, we were all caught by surprise by that. Uh, because honestly, the, the, the Terry believe that I always been around, I never saw him treating anybody differently in the dressing room based on skin color. Uh, it, it, I just, something I didn't see. I'm not saying it didn't happen at some point, somewhere or another, but it's something I didn't see. Um, so I was surprised when I heard that, but you know, again, if it's just, okay, now you're banished and you get shoved out the door, never to be seen or heard from again. Well, what happens on the other side of that equation? Does that person have reason to then dig in their stance and say, they're, they're not going to change because of the way they were treated. You know, it becomes this never ending vicious cycle of what came first, the chicken or the egg. Um, you know, I think it was a smart move for WWE to reinstate him. And I think it would be smarter for Terry Belia to now go out of his way to prove that what he has said since his banishment from WWE is valid and true, uh, that it wasn't just lip service. The only way you're going to find that out, though, is if you interact with the guy and you talk with him and you watch him and you listen to him and you pay close attention. You can't do that if you're not going to interact with the guy. It's just, uh, and that's not just the WWE. That is where I, I think a microcosm of what I've, I've been talking about in this country for so long. You know, the phrase civil discourse, that's something that's been around since the dawn of this country. We can disagree on any point or every point. But if, you, if we won't even sit down and talk to one another, if it's just you don't think and say like I do, so fuck you, I'm going to ruin you and demonize you and destroy you and call you a Nazi or a socialist or whatever, then how do you ever arrive at a point of fixing the problem? You can't. The answer is you can't. All you do is you set in concrete whatever it is you believe and you set in concrete whatever the other side believes. And then beyond that, the only thing is bullets flying in a civil war. So civil discourse is something that, as long as it's been a part of our history, has very recently been sanitized out. And we must, as a nation, get back to that. We must, as human beings, get back to that. Look, if, if, if Hulk Hogan has come out and he's thrown himself on the sword and said he realizes what he said was repulsive and he takes ownership of that, if now you hear him use the N-word after this, that will pretty much tell you that he hasn't really changed, and now you've got the evidence you need. But if you're not willing to sit and talk to the guy or listen to the guy or give the guy an opportunity, you won't ever have the opportunity to find out if that's true or not. And so ramp it up on a much larger level to, our, to the national discourse. Uh, we, we better start talking and listening fairly soon or a lot worse things are going to happen in this country. Now, with the Hulkster, we have talked to Kamala in the past, and Kamala has told us that Hulk is definitely not racist, and that he said if you would have heard some of the things that he said to some of his friends, you know, about white people or, or whoever, he goes, yeah. you know, behind the scenes, you may have thought something about us. He goes, but he goes, I'm not racist either, but I've said some bad stuff. Good thing nobody's reporting it. He's like, and Hulk was was a good friend of him. He said Hulk was racist. Coco Beware, who I talk to quite often, and I always bring up 
stuff like Hogan and different, just different stories that when I, whenever, you know, we chat, uh, he said, Hogan is a great friend, uh, not a racist. Then you look at guys like Shaq and George Foreman and Dennis Rodman, who he was all very close to. They say he's right. not. So just, I just, you know, just throwing that out there that, um, you know, whatever happened, happened. If he apologizes that, you know, and really meant it, that is great. But just from some of those guys, what, is, what you hear, and specifically guys like Kamala and Coco, who we talk to personally, they say he's yeah. definitely, definitely, definitely not. So, you know, I guess it's just uh, these younger guys these days kind of take things their own way, and, and that's the way they're going to react to it. And there's really not much you can do about it. I guess they're not going to forgive him. I guess in a weird way, they're going to kind of forget and just move on and just go on with their business. So it becomes a festering wound, you know, okay. and, yep. you know, it's, uh, look, I, I'd be far more willing to accept the comments of several African-Americans who wrestle on so Cause keep in mind back then they were wrestling 340, 50 plus days a year together. Uh, I would think that they would have a much keener, insight into that um but again here's a we I, I can sit here right now and say you know what i've never said anything offensive in my life and until somebody points it out to me and then oh well, you're okay yeah but only that one time and then somebody points out another one and another one uh everybody of every color of every religion of every sex of every creed walking the planet right now has said something offensive to somebody else. And I just get back to, if we're just going to suddenly disengage with those people and say, okay, I never want to see you, talk to you, hear from you again. You're just a horrible human being. Meanwhile, I'm perfect. Uh, like I said, until my friends point out or somebody who knows me points out something I did before. Um, you know, what we need less of today is not listening. And what we need a lot more of is understanding today. If we're going to get past this point, you know, it's, it's a choice. You know, we can decide we're going to lock ourselves in and believe we're perfect. Or I should say I'm perfect, but you and Chad aren't. Uh, you're not as perfect as I am because you guys must have said something offensive because I'm deluding myself. Uh, likewise, every human being walking the planet. And once you get to that point, if you set that in concrete, and you're unwilling to open your eyes and your ears and your brain and your heart to listening to other people, then the only point beyond that is fighting at some point. Fighting whether it's with your fists, with guns, with something worse, uh, or like somebody that quote-unquote brave, with big quotation marks on it, souls who go on as Joe123 on the internet or, you know, kayfabe Tom or whatever. You know, if you're going to go on the Internet and you want to espouse your points and try to demonize somebody else, go on as Troy Martin. Go on as Shane Douglas, who even as a pseudonym, pretty much everybody knows is Troy Martin. Uh, but we see so much of that today. It's what's become of the world with with this Internet. Everybody believes we, there, there are very few people who look in the mirror in the morning and say, you're a piece of shit. You've done wrong. Everybody believes they're perfect. Everybody believes they're right and a good person. Uh, even Hitler, I'm sure, thought that when he looked in the mirror in the morning. Uh, the question is, are you going to look at yourself legitimately and honestly and sincerely and see all your own foibles 
as you try to, what's that old saying? Judge not lest you be judged. Uh, you know, I don't want to judge anybody because, <laughs> you know, whether it's been on camera or however you want to take it, uh, we've all done things stupid in the past, me included. Uh, I don't want judged on one instant of, of me at my worst in my past. I want judged based on the sum of my life's experience. And if you go from that, I would think that, like, if, like we'll take Hulk Hogan, for instance. Uh, I've personally watched Hulk Hogan interact with dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of very, very sick kids, many of them terminal. And in my mind, in looking at that, doesn't give him a, a free pass and say he can be as big a jerk as he wants away from those kids. But in, in my mind, based off of the one thing that we've heard of Hogan at his worst, I would think that there'd be some compensatory, you know, like a, like a, a debit and credit sheet. Okay, how many bad things have you said in your life or done bad things you've done in your life as opposed to how many good things? And I, I, I'd be hard-pressed to believe that Terry Balea uh, went out and had some secret hidden debit credit sheet that had him, you know, with all these horrendous things, but did a little bit of good for some, some sick kids on the side and thinks it's a wash. Uh, it, it just, you know, if you know human nature, people that are tending to do the, the latter are not the former. Did I say that right? I forget the way I just said it, but you get my point. Uh, somebody that's willing to go out and do that as often as Terry Belia did it as as his free time was to do that. I think you pretty much see in a nutshell that you got a pretty good guy there. The Hulkster is uh, one of the greatest. So to wipe him off the history books was, I thought, a, a bit extreme. And for guys you know, like Mark Henry acting like the moral compass, and if anybody knows the story of Mark Henry and why he got a push, was because Michael Hayes may have said something derogatory or so the story goes, may have made some racist comments, and Mark Henry basically complained about it, and I guess made a big stink about it. So they said, well, what can we do to make this right? And basically, he wanted to push, and he wanted the ECW world title, and kind of the rest is history for, from there. So to be the moral compass and, and act like Hogan is totally wrong, when you use that situation of somebody saying something wrong, and kind of made your career off of it in a certain aspect. So the story goes, quote unquote, um, it's a little strange. I don't know if you've ever heard that story quite as, as I'm putting it though, Shannon. No, but see, and I'm not faulting you. You're doing the same thing right now because you're saying that based on this rumor that we've heard, uh, that that's the snapshot of this one person. Mm. Um, and, and I think that, you know, again, whether he did or didn't do those things, uh, none of us can judge it. It's that old saying, that old Indian proverb, walk a mile and somebody's moccasins or something, but uh, they would do until they're in that position. Uh, but the point I make is that I know I'm imperfect. Stated up front, I'm imperfect. I've probably got more warts than most people have, but I take ownership of those. I don't shy away from anything I've said in the past, and if something offensive is brought to light that I've said, then I'll either explain it, take ownership of it, apologize for it, whatever. But that's really all I can do. I, I, there's no time machine that I can get in and go back and say, 
okay, I'm not going to say or do that horrendous thing today that's going to be judged by a different light 20 or 30 years from now. Um, you know, but this holier-than-thou attitude that is so pervasive today, as if somehow uh, the person making the accusation walks on water. Well, I would suggest that for those people that want to play the holier-than-thou rule, let's slap a camera on them secretly uh, or film them 24 hours a day secretly, and let's see what moral fiber that person really has. My guess is that they will, at some point along the line, be like every other human being walking the planet, make some off-color remark, make some off-color joke, uh, and be just like everybody else that they're accusing of being horrible. Um, enough. Enough already. We're human beings. Doesn't that entitle us to be infallible? Uh, you know, it's... I, I don't know. I, it, it, it appalls me is what I see. I, I understand. Look, and the achieved goal of all this is to create some utopian world, right, where nobody ever says anything bad about anybody. Nobody ever thinks anything bad about anybody. And everybody sits around and sings kumbaya every night around the campfire. Uh, I, I think throughout history, as communism claimed to be that, socialism claimed to be that, and sadly, history proved wrong. Uh, there is no perfection in this world. Every human being I've ever met has had major, major uh, foibles, warts. Uh, and like I said, me more than most. But I don't walk around and say, I'm better than you and Chad because I don't say or think or do those types of things. Um, because it wouldn't take, I'm sure, too long anybody dissecting my past and going in and looking if there was a 24-hour-a-day uh, uh, transcript of my life. It'd be pretty easy to go back and see that I probably had, as has everybody else walking the planet right now and breathing air right now. And so if you're deluding yourself and saying, not me, I'm I'll give you an example. Uh, back when the whole thing came out about a certain presidential candidate talking about women's body parts, uh, there, there was a newscaster that said that, uh, quite holier than thou, that the, you know, the comment was made that was just locker room banter and that everybody spoke like that. And this newscaster came off and said, not me. I don't speak like that. So I went and typed this person's name in <laughs> with the words lewd comments. And in about one-tenth of one second, hundreds of pages came up of this person talking about their spouse's sex parts and certain body parts of, of their own. Uh, look, am I going to demonize this person for that? No, it's human beings. That's what human beings do. But if you're going to sit there and, and from the top of the pulpit say, not me, I'm above that. I'm perfect. Wow. Like, you know, was that line in Billy Joel's song, don't throw stones in a glass house? Uh, you know, don't, 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 just don't make yourself out to be a fool. Uh, we're human beings and we're all infallible. Hulk Hogan, the same as everybody else, no, no better, no worse. Now there are some that are worse, right? I mean, you know, when you go to the extremes, you can certainly find people that are worse. Uh, but I think the average human beings that get up in the morning, go to bed at night, uh, and do their best to, to get by in between, 
I, I, I think that all of their, every single one of their shit stinks, mine included. And, uh, enough of the judging already. My God. Until, until somebody comes down and proves that they're perfect and has never done anything like that. I, I fall back to the, to the bullshit clause. You're full of shit. I scream bullshit. Well, I don't know if you saw this. This is kind of a, I guess, a newer story that's out there, but it, it is very interesting. Now, this guy, he may, he may be in the wrong. It's an independent wrestler, and he's doing a Nazi gimmick. I, I just saw this recently. <laughs> I just thought that was really, really interesting. Like, what the hell? He apparently he's doing a what gimmick? Nazi. He's doing the whole, you know, Zeke Heil, the whole Nazi gimmick. And he's actually wow. a school teacher for the last 14 years. He's been a school teacher, <laughs> I guess, somewhere in, in Ohio. And I came across this. I just thought, like, wow, we're talking about, oh, you know, if Hogan's doing something wrong or yeah. Mark Henry, did Mark Henry do something wrong or whatever, blah, blah, And then all of a sudden this comes out. It's like, wow, this is this guy's actual gimmick? What is he thinking about? I know uh, your dad is a World War II vet. What do you think yep. about this, Shane? A, an actual Nazi gimmick wrestler called Blitzkrieg. Well, he he's not long for his job if he's a school teacher <laughs> because uh, yeah, and, oh and honestly, school teachers sign uh, in their contract a morality clause, and you know, good luck with you know all the judging that we just talked about for the last 10, 15 minutes. When you tr- when the school district that he works for finds out that this guy's out there portraying a real Nazi uh, as if he really knew what a real Nazi was. Uh, that goes against everything that, you know, uh, 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 so you understand uh, uh, a uh, morality clause doesn't say, okay, A, B, C, and D are wrong. You can't do those things. But E, F, G, all the way through to Z, those things are okay. A morality clause is a gray area that if the powers that be say is immoral, it's immoral. And you're getting fired. Uh, but you know, this goes to the crux of what I've said all along. I would be willing to bet my last dollar that the people throwing those terms around, fascist or Nazi, couldn't pass my eighth grade civics test and tell me really what is a real Nazi, what is a real fascist. It's just a word they heard someplace that they know is associated with Hitler, so it's bad. So if I don't like that, I was going to call you a Nazi or a fascist because that makes you like Hitler in my mind. And therefore, it's about the worst thing I could say about you. Um, doesn't matter if you're not a fascist. Doesn't matter if you're the exact opposite of a fascist. It, that person calls you that. And in their mind, that's what you are because name calling wins everything today. If I get the last big slam in on you and I troll you and I get enough of my friends to do it, you're guilty because I said it. Um, but boy, this, this guy is a, if all those things you said are true, he's a full-time school teacher and he's out portraying a Nazi character. Uh, whew, I, I can't imagine a school board or an administration being copacetic with that. And as per any standard morality clause, I would think this guy's got serious trouble coming in his career. And he might want to hope that he's pretty successful at being Blitzkrieg because he may need the income. 
Unbelievable. Wow. That that's just yeah, shocking nowadays that somebody would kind of uh portray that gimmick. I, I know he's I thinks it's funny or whatever he thinks it is, but you you know that's just not gonna go over well, especially your school teachers. Just just not a not a good look at all. No and and to throw on top of it the old wrestler from WCW Blitzkrieg, who was a little great, he's kind of defaming him as well. Well, and it, it doesn't play well on Main Street. So if you know if you're <laughs> if you're a school teacher in downtown Pittsburgh, uh, and suddenly here's pictures of you wearing a swastika, and doesn't matter under what guise you think it is, you know you're out there portraying it as a haha wrestling character. Suddenly there's pictures of you wearing a swastika and saluting Sig Heil and good luck in defending that. Uh, you know, cause common sense play. That's the whole point of this discussion in the last 20, 30 minutes. Common sense plays no part of this. It is. Here's a snapshot of you. What the fuck were you thinking? You're fired. And you know, any attempt to try to defend yourself, you know, a good attorney could tear you to shreds on the stand. Um, no, am I saying that's right? No, hell no. This is what, the whole point of what I've been talking about. But this is the world we live in. So I, I can't imagine that anybody that's a public school teacher, I would hope that he read the contract before he signed it and understood what it meant before he signed it. Uh, you know, that's the stuff your, your mom and dad typically teach when you're like in high school. Don't sign anything until you understand it. Uh, you know, but you're an educated person and you're signing a document and, you know, going out and doing something like that. It, like you said, JP, it's really hard to fathom. I mean, you know, especially, especially in the hyper uh, sensitive period that we're living in. I mean, if you've ever made a joke about something off color and who hasn't, uh, you're guilty. You can't be hired. We've got to fire you from your job. Uh, you know, it's just we, we've reached the point of insanity. We've talked about this so often since we launched this podcast. Um, you know, there's uh, you know, every day there's videos online you can sit and watch and see of real world everyday encounters. And then after you watch that video and it, regardless of where you come down, because most anybody that watches any videos has, a, has an opinion one way or the other. Then scroll down and read the comments. And you walk away from there, like, battling your lips. Like, I would have never believed there were that many people that agreed with that or disagreed with that, whichever way it would go. Uh, it's, it's scary, honestly, that any sensitive adults could watch much of this stuff and not form an opinion, just as it is... <laughs> that an educated person would go out and play a character named Blitzkrieg. And I'm sure, you know, when he goes to the ring, he's play, he's portraying that character as believably as he can. And now I'm sure there's video footage out there of this guy doing all of these things, uh, Sig Heiling and wearing the Nazi <laughs> signia and everything else. And my God, in, in 2018, with as hypersensitive as everybody is over even a fat joke, uh, and I say that, as a fat guy, so don't, don't anybody come on trolling <laughs> me as because I'm a fat guy. Uh, but honestly, like, have we lost our collective minds? That you know, 
it, 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 it makes me wonder sometimes, um, not sometimes, just about every damn day, because th this stuff just, none of it adds up to me. Um, wow. I, I would love for somebody to sit someday, maybe we have to do a set of camera up someday and just go through me, go through a day with me reading the, you know, the news feeds and things and watching the videos and, you know, reading the, the, the comments and everything and just, just get a real time take of the franchise watching this stuff and, 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 you know, responding to it as it comes up. Cause it sure as hell doesn't look like normal to me. Hey, can I play devil's advocate here for a second with this guy? Hell no. You have no thing in here. Yeah. So what if, well, this is a big what if, what if he's trying to uh, educate his students on uh, Nazi uh, World War II history and the Nazis were bad, so he's portraying a heel uh, to kind of break that wall and, and, you know, get through to the students. Maybe he's doing a little method acting here to get the, uh, the point across. Nazis equal bad. In uh, in the student's eyes, maybe he's trying to really go above and beyond. C completely valid point. It's called the teachable moment. Uh, when you know you're walking down the street with your mom and dad, and you come across a, a statue at a park, and you ask your mom and dad, "Well, who's that guy?" Or you know, "Why is that person on a horse?" Or "Why is he carrying a sword?" Whatever. That's the teachable moment. The, the the doors are open to your brain for me to now educate you about what you just asked about. The problem is when I then go take a singular picture from you, of you, from the internet, you standing at a Sig house salute uh, or wearing a swastika. Now it's really easy for me to paint you as something you don't mean it to be. It, or say this guy who, using your, your hypothesis that he's using this as a, as a, a learning method. Um, you know, I've taken into my classes what I used to teach. My dad, again, fought real Nazis. My dad had a hand-to-hand -hand combat with a, an SS officer. And so when my dad killed this guy, he, of course, had his, all of his insignia, his skull and crossbones ring, his pearl-handled pistol, everything. He, you know, it's, and that was normal. If you killed the guy, you took the spoils. And... I, I guess by today's day, if I was teaching today, I would be very, very reticent to take that stuff into the classroom to teach with because it'd be very possible for somebody to walk away and say, Mr. Martin's a Nazi. After all, he was showing Nazi insignia in a history class. And, uh, you know, I don't, anytime I thought about Nazis, I didn't go in there and make them sound like they were evil human beings and entities that came to life because those men were doing what they believed in. And as demonizing as that is to us to understand, you know, it's, it just depends on which side of the fence you're on and where history comes down. Had America lost that war, we would have been raised believing that Nazis were wonderful. And so, you know, the, the best way to, from my point of view, in teaching history is to make that make sense to the student. You know, because not everybody in Germany was born and raised to be a Darth Vader, uh, using modern vernacular. So how do you make that make sense to an average 14, 15, 16-year-old student? Put them inside the thinking process. You know, we were raised in this country to sing the national anthem, 
to say the Pledge of Allegiance, the standard flag used to be, um, you know, and revere those things. But what if you were raised somewhere that you were told that this country was evil and the root of all wrongdoing in the world? You know, so it's all perspective. And if you teach, in my experience, when you teach students both sides of the point, not that you teach them both sides equally or both sides is valid. You just present the information. You'll get a ton of questions from the students. Well, Mr. Martin, what about this or what about that or why this or why that? Now, once you see those questions start to be bannered about the classroom, education is taking place. Students are learning. Um, but back to this teacher with the pictures, I'm not saying what he's doing or if, if he's portending what it is you claim with playing devil's advocate. Based on today with what we're seeing with everybody being demonized for every comment they've ever made in their past, I can't imagine that a school district would be too happy about that. All it would take is one parent. In my experience with school districts, one parent, you'd have 9,000 kids. One parent calls to complain and you're on the firing line. It's a crazy, uh, it's a crazy, crazy thing. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll err on the side of maybe method acting here, uh, because that's crazy enough as it is that this character is uh, being portrayed. But to kind of put your uh, your dean hat back on or your dean robe or however the dean would prepare for one of his lessons. My, now, oh, well, time out. My dean mortar board. <laughs> the board of education. Deans wear <laughs> no, no, wrong, wrong board. The mortar boards you wear on your head. Oh. Jesus, God. Oh, you got, I got to educate you guys on everything. Deans wear mortar boards. Exactly. Motorboat. Oh, you got it. You got Whatever you say. <laughs> I, I don't have any idea how I know that, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, with all those uh, PhDs that you have, I mean, that's how. That's why you know it. I mean, come on. But, you know, we, brought, we mentioned it earlier in the show. We're talking about declining ratings and talking about how the business of television in the WWE is in the toilet, whereas their business on the back end is booming, and, and Saudi Arabia is giving them money, and Australia is giving them money, and Fox literally right. took the Brinks truck and I guess took about 25 Brinks trucks and just dumped them <laughs> in the parking garage at Titan Tower. But we always hear about the down periods in the past, and 1995, 1996 comes to mind. So what we kind of saw was the lowest rating in the history of Monday Night Raw come in at a 1.7 two Mondays ago, um, yeah. which is, I mean, it's pitiful. I mean, that we, people used to make fun of TNA for the numbers that TNA used to get, and, and the numbers that TNA used to get are on par with what WWE right. is getting now, unopposed for over 15 years on the USA Network. So I went back and I dug right. up the last Raw show that you were on. It was December 4th, 1995. It was actually taped the night after the Survivor Series in November, and it was broadcast 12-495. This rating for this show in a down period where the company was essentially losing money and Vince was again fighting for his life uh, on the legal side, got a 2.6 rating up against Monday Nitro. Yeah. But that was a down period. See, it's, those are the kinds of things I don't understand, and I don't think today's fan really gets it. But let me just read you the results really quick, because this is a cool part of, of doing the research. I love to throw out uh, some of the other matches. So uh, let's see. we got the British Bulldog defeated Bob Holly. Uh, Fatu, who is also known as Rikishi, defeated the Brooklyn Brawler. So there's a, a somewhat rare raw appearance for the Brooklyn Brawler. 
Uh, the main event was Marty Jannetty versus Sid with Ted DiBiase. That ended in a no contest. And Razor Ramon defeated Dean Douglas to retain the WWF Intercontinental Championship. So that show got a 2.6 up against the Monday Nitro. And this three-hour unopposed WWE Raw two weeks ago got a cumulative 1.7. Well, first of all, he pulled my tights. That's the first thing. Um, <laughs> he did. Right. He did. I mean, it, it is, you know, when you watch this now, you know, to, if Vincent Mann were here in this discussion, and boy, I wish he was, <laughs> he would say to you, and he'd be right to some extent, that overall ratings across the board have declined. Um, but I would argue and contend that although they have declined across the board, they haven't declined 95% across the board. So you don't see monday night football that used to get a let's say 20 in the ratings now getting a 2.56 or 7 in the ratings uh the ratings are down because people are now going to other modes be it uh, you know their tablets and you know hulu and netflix and all the other things are getting their entertainment from so they are down across the board but they're not down 95 percent across the board uh i don't know of another business industry corporation that could lose 95% of its customer base and turn around and sell its lackluster low-level program, its number two program, for $1.2 billion. I think this screams out for how desperate the Foxes and the networks are for original content. And because WWE is largely unopposed, you know, TNA is not scratching their back, Ring of Honor has not made a dent, that as the only entity providing content out there uh, in a big way. And let's face it, WWE is still a household name that they're able to monetize that. But it's the exact inverse universe because as your numbers slough off, as your customer base hemorrhages, most companies see a decrease in revenue coming in. And Vince has, you know, his, his numbers used to be, he would sell out or come close to selling out every event live event, house show, and that brought him to black. Then the mere $37 they did per head in merchandise that night in PPG Arena that we talked about at the outset of this show, used to be 18,800 seats. So if they sold that out and that brought them to black, now take 18,800 and multiply that times mere $37. Not a bad take for the night, uh, especially when you only have to pay 0.001% to the wrestlers whose names are on those and faces are on those products. Um, so now that we've seen the, the turnaround, instead of the 18800 and the near $37 per head, we're seeing a 4400 to 5000 average per show. And the number has dropped as of about a year, year and a half ago to around $11 per head. So do the quick math. Just, you know, just play Jethro Bodine and play your Gazintas. 18,800 times 37, as opposed to 5,000 times 11. Uh, you can start to see that the numbers are hemorrhaging every place. Um, and it's, it's nowhere near offset by the dec decrease across the board in ratings and mass. Uh, no other industry that's beaming out product, whether it's by television or live streaming or anything else, has seen a 95% decrease in that audience base. The WWE has. And like I said last year at this time, 
Next year, the ratings will be below where they are this year. And next year from now, they'll be below where they are now, um, barring some incredible turnaround. Uh, but for the last 10 plus years, over 10 years, about 12 or 13 years, we've seen every subsequent year, 13 years ago, the, the ratings were higher than 12, 12 higher than 11 and so on until we, where we are now. At what point, and I said this five years ago, I asked this rhetorical question, at what point does the, the entire system flip? At what point does the fan base as declined can no longer keep up with the bills for the company? And you know, Vince has bought himself a reprieve with these television contracts, but you know, you have to ask yourself if another entity were to get into the business and be competitive and draw away those remaining 5% of the fans and draw back a big number of those fans that have left, would Vince be getting those big contracts? And the other question I have would be, does Fox and does NBC Universal have an out clause? In other words, if their ratings drop below a certain point, can they say, well, this is no longer a five-year guaranteed $1.2 billion deal. Now we're just going to drop it today, six months in or 12 months in or 18 months in. Uh, my guess would be that their lawyers are pretty shitty if they didn't negotiate in that kind of a clause. So it's a numbers game. And it ultimately always has been. Um, but I, I see far more weakness than, you know, everybody's rushing. I, you know, I, you, you look at the, the pages, you know, the, the investment pages. Are, you know, WWE is a buy. They're just selling these big deals. And all these great things are going on. Well, you know, same thing they said about the uh, housing industry back in the late 90s till that bubble burst. And, you know, same thing they said about technology in the early 2000s until that bubble burst. Um, I don't know. I, I don't have a crystal ball that I can look and say I know exactly what's going to happen in WWE in the future. All I can say is based on what I know of my industry and based on what I see in the numbers that I'm seeing right now and have seen for the last 12, 13 years and each subsequent year, I don't see any massive turnaround anytime soon. I saw a feed on MSN last week uh, saying that Fox expects to launch with a 3 to a 3.5 rating. <laughs> and the only oh, response okey I dokey. was, for some, reason, for some reason, an Aerosmith song just popped into my head, Dream On. Uh, I mean, Vince hasn't seen three 3.5s in how long? Five years? Six? Maybe longer? Um, good luck, Fox. And like I said, I hope for Fox's sake... That, they, that their attorneys were smart enough to negotiate in that kind of a clause because barring some major turnaround, and I, I haven't seen it in the last 20, 25 years, so I doubt I'm going to see it anytime soon, I don't see the WWE coming anywhere near a 3 or a 3.5 rating on Fox or anyplace else. So let's do the sheer uh, numbers game here. So if that show got a 2.6 in 1995... And it's a one-hour show, and it's up against a Monday Nitro, which I believe was in the same neighborhood. I, I should have pulled that, but I believe that was in the same neighborhood. But add on two hours to that time frame, okay? So now yeah. all those matches and all those guys I just read off, now you got to basically triple the amount of people you're squeezing onto a show. Not to mention this show also featured 
a brother loves segment and a ringside interview with Bob Backlund. So all that stuff was squeezed in to one hour and got a 2.6. So I guess maybe if you spread that over three hours in 1995, maybe you start to thin the audience out a little bit. But look at how much business was able to get done in that time frame because also let's factor in commercials. So now what is it, Shane? What is it, 42 minutes or something after you, you factor in back, commercials? Back then was 46 minutes. It's now 44 minutes. So back then was 46 minutes of content per hour. So you can dare say that if you were to, to make that a three-hour show, there's a chance that that rating's going to drop because obviously people are going to tune out or they're going to go to the other channel and they're going to see what else is going on. Sure. And the matches will be significantly longer, so it's going to kind of take your attention away. But on an hour show, you got you got a a job. B is to keep them, and C is to execute it. So over three hours, that show. Would you agree that show probably would have suffered the same fate ratings wise if it was stretched out to be three sure. hours? Absolutely. Look, when you when you go to see a movie, how many movies have you ever gone to watch that were three hours long? Very, very few. And the ones that were, were incredibly well-done movies that had a ton of word of mouth behind them. Most movies are kept in that 90, 100, 105-minute range because they know, just by human nature, the attention span, especially today more than ever, after about an hour, hour and a half, the attention span starts to wane up. I can see it with my kids. We go to see a movie, and I'm having a great time. And you know, my sons will start saying, Dad, when is this movie going to be over? And we're right around the 85, 90 minute mark. Uh, so there's a reason why those companies that spend hundreds of millions of dollars making movies stay in that sweet spot. You know, they, they could spend a couple more million and draw it out to three hours. Because, I mean, after all, if Star Wars is great at 90 minutes, wouldn't it be even better at 180 minutes? Uh, no. The answer is you lose the interest. So... When you go back and you look and you see it, it raw going from the two-hour point to the three-hour point, and then you start to look over the, the long run of the ratings and the analyses of the ratings over that time, you can start to see how there was a big softening in the ratings at different points during that time. Uh, so instead of the three two hours, where the ratings held sort of standard, or you know they went up and down a little bit, but there was no big ups and downs. And there was pretty much standard through. Then you look when it went to three hours and you see these wide variations in the quarter hours, you know, from a two point to a 3.5 down to a 3.1 to a 2.9 up and down, up and down, up and down through. And so you get the average collective at the end. Uh, but you have to ask yourself now, what did that additional hour of filming and expenditures cost? You know, and so, you know, if you're coming out at the end with a lesson cumulative rating, average cumulative rating for the three hours, then you can pretty much tell yourself that was a bad investment for the extra hour. Um, you know, but, you know, I, I don't I don't know of anybody today uh, under 25 years old that has the attention span to watch Jesus Christ if he beamed out of the sky right now for three hours, and let alone watching a really bad sport entertainment show. Uh, you know, here's Shane Douglas walking down the backstage, picking his nose and wiping his ass and saying hello to somebody in the back. Who gives a shit? Where's <laughs> Shane Douglas in the ring? It's a wrestling show. Um, but, you know, they, they pack the show full of that stuff. And, you know, I've seen different analyses done 
of you know how much wrestling, how much in-ring content there really was in the first hour, the second hour, the third hour. And out of that 44 minutes there's now left, the content, you know, you're, I'm seeing numbers like 18 minutes, 13 minutes, 15 minutes. That, that's, that's a third. So the third of the time you're airing your product, forget about the commercials, and a third of the content time, you're providing all that kind of filler stuff that nobody gives a shit about, especially when it doesn't have a point. You know, if a promo doesn't have a point, it's just a wrestler flapping his or her gums. If it's just a wrestler picking their nose or wiping their, his or her ass in the backstage area, uh, nobody cares about that. It's about the in-ring product. So, you know, overall, you know, if you take a step back and analyze all of these finite points, you can get a real, especially for those of us that have followed the industry this long, you can get a real clear indice as to, or, or, or index, as to how these ratings have dropped and why we've seen this massive hemorrhaging of the numbers. The one thing I've never found is I've analyzed these numbers for years. I've never found like something that goes, okay, well, that doesn't make sense. That's an aberration. All And this one thing that I'm looking at, it's up across the board and everything else is down. Everything I look at, uh, for instance, the podcast that I did uh, with JD, uh, he, you know, he and I were talking off the air and he said, you know, well, you know, I, I always get you know pretty strong feedback. And, and I said, do you have a breakdown? Like, you know, cause he, he, you know, he's not a big fan of the WWE product. And I said, do you have a breakdown? Even if it's not scientific, do you have a breakdown? He said, well, yeah, it's about 10 to one. I said, which way? He said 10 to one in favor of what I say. And the, the one out of 10 against what I say. And he said, even then they're not like, strongly against it they'll just disagree at a certain point or whatever well if you look at that that is right in line with the 95 percent drop we've seen in the ratings it's all in the same ballpark it's not like you see you know 90 percent of the fans blasting them and you know it doesn't core it's a complete opposite of the correlation to the sloughing off of the ratings everything you see all the numbers that you analyze come right in that 5 to 10% range of where we've seen the ratings go. So it only stands the reason if you understand numbers, uh, and you understand how television numbers are deduced, that they're on the wrong path. They're, they're, paying, they're playing to an ever-dwindling audience, and they've monetized it. So there's no real impetus or urgency for them to change what they're doing until it stops. And it will stop on a dime. I don't see Fox, barring those ratings turning around, if Fox is truly believing they're going to get a 3 to a 3.5 rating out of the gate, how long will Fox stick around before they invoke that clause, if there is one, to get out? Um, the rest remains to be seen. We'll see. I think they have the panic button where they can break the glass and hit the red. The big C, it's called cancel, which... I don't think a lot of people realize you can still do that on regular television. You can cancel a show if it's not performing sure. to the way you like. But before we get over to John and he finishes up the show with a little last franchise, anything, i got to point out one historical angle that took place at those television tapings, Shane. I know it's one that you definitely uh, – I'm sure you were on the edge <laughs> of your seat for in the locker room. Do you know what the, uh, the history-making angle was that night in Richmond? Wasn't it on that Johnson? 
No, it was uh, the writing off of Shawn Michaels so he can convalesce his injuries uh, with the post-concussion <laughs> syndrome. Is, it, is that where he's going looking for a smile? It was. Hey, I'm, I'm dying to know. I'm dying to know where he ended up finding it. Was it under the? Uh, was it like <laughs> like slipped down into the like, crack in the couch, or was it like le- left in his in his pants? He put in the laundry. Like, where exactly did he find that smile? <laughs> this was before the smile was lost. This was the one where he. That's this is the one where they had him. I believe they had him pass out. I want to say it was right. It would pass out right in the middle of the ring. And that was, uh, he came back too fast from his uh, relinquishing of the Intercontinental Championship to a certain uh, blonde-haired Dean. But then on this show, he gets written off with his uh, concussion syndrome after getting beat up by uh, 655 people outside of a nightclub (laughs) in uh, Syracuse, New York. I thought it was a thousand. Wasn't a thousand people beat him up? I thought it was half the city of... uh... Rochester that came out to get him. <laughs> well, nonetheless, a historical angle to uh, to say the least. Now, John, I'm going to hand it over to you. Take us uh, take us into the latter half here with a little ask franchise anything. AFA ask franchise anything. This is just an interesting email we got from Paul Johnson. He said, "Hey Shane, did you ever have any matches with Goldust slash Dustin Rhodes?" And that was pretty much it. He was just curious about that. And I was curious about that as well. I was trying to think of when you two may have wrestled. Uh, not in WWE, WWF, uh, but in WCW slash NWA. If you remember, Ricky Steamboat and I wrestled him and Barry Windham for the titles. And I believe there were a few house show defenses of that. Uh, not often. You know, they're, they're, I'm friends for years, and uh, I, I loved working with Dustin. You know, Dustin was a hell of a is a hell of a hand in the ring and, and a great guy. And uh, no, when we went to WWE, I, you know, I still get started. You know, I, I invoke the wrong name every time. I, I sometimes, most times, call it WWF. Occasionally, call it WWE. I, I guess it's it take about twenty years to learn the WWE name. But uh, no, in WWF, we 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 never entered the ring together, never were angled together. Um, but we, you know, we traveled at times together. And, you know, the, the last night that I wrestled in Madison Square Garden, he and Davey Boy Smith were the only two that came to the elevator. Everybody knows the, the, the backstage area set up in the MSG is you have to take the elevator up to the fifth floor. And, you know, then you, you know the dressing rooms are on that floor. Uh, they were the only two that came down to see me off as I was leaving and, you know, they, Dustin's always been a great guy. Uh, I've always valued him as a good friend and I always thought he was a hell of a talent in the ring. You know, the whole gold dust thing to me, he's made you know, much like his dad did with the, the, uh, the polka dots. Uh, Dustin went out and persevered in spite of that. Uh, you know, Dustin could wrestle his ass off. He can go. And, you know, to me, that, that, but you know, again, it was WWF, WWE, whatever you want to call it, sports entertainment, you know, so their vision was to see him as some kind of a, you know, painted up, you know, character. And all of that is based off of, you know, Dustin in the dressing room used to crack all the boys up because he would talk in that gold dust voice and crack everybody up. And I have no doubt that somebody from creative or Vince or Pat or somebody somebody in the power structure 
saw that and thought, well, we can make a character out of this. Um, but no, I never had a chance to work. I would have loved to with Dustin. And uh, other than the time with Ricky Steamboat and uh, uh, Barry Windham. You gotta love. Uh, you gotta love that. Yeah, no, it's uh, Goldust still doing uh, doing his thing out with an injury right now, but still a really active part of uh, the WWE landscape and uh, becoming one of those more beloved characters in the pantheon of WWE. Which to think for years, you know, the Goldust character had uh, had a little bit of an edge, had a little bit of controversy, yeah. and the the picketing outside Madison Square Garden uh, when it first debuted there. And obviously the rift he had with the dream at, at one point, the gold dust character has evolved and is now uh, one of the more beloved characters in the, uh, the pantheon of WWE lore. Well, I, I'm curious uh, and, and I'm not, I probably shouldn't even say this. It'll stir controversy. Uh, uh, what's her name? The girl that plays the black widow, uh, the actress. Um, oh, she plays the Black Widow in the uh, Marvel, uh, the Marvel movies. Uh, Scarlett, oh, Scarlett Johansson, yeah. Scarlett, yeah, Scarlett Johansson. You know, she was just—I don't know if you call it recently in the in the media. Uh, she was forced to step down from a movie role playing a transgender because uh, the transgender, I guess, went the other way, and that was considered, I guess, disrespectful. Um, so. <laughs> You know, again, everything's being a snapshot. If it's just a snapshot, I never show you that particular snapshot. There's never a controversy. But if if one thing is wrong, then you have to look at it in mass and wonder why it's it's not okay here, but it's okay here. Um, again, I'm not advocating that. You know, I I understand what Dustin is doing. I think he plays an incredibly entertaining character in the way he does it. Uh, and I don't think in any way is being condescending to anybody. But, you know, if, if Scarlett Johansson can't play a transgender male playing a woman, I guess it would be, that, that that's wrong. But, you know, a gold dust character wouldn't be. You know, again, like, it's like a moving target. Like, which of these is, which way is right, which way is wrong? If I'm supposed to formulate my opinions based off of, what I'm seeing, there's certainly mixed signals out there. You know, is it this or is it that? Is this proper or improper or is this proper or improper? Um, the point is, the moving target, nobody knows. If it's six today, you know, if the, if the sweet spot is six today, seven tomorrow, and five the day after that, how can you ever gauge as to where it is you're supposed to aim or believe? You can't. And you will also never forget the name of Gold Dust. <laughs> I had to throw that one out there. But as we get in here into the wrap-up, I got to throw out a little bit of a hopeful coming soon here uh, pairing that we're going to have with the great folks over at Figures Toy Company. And Shane, we've been talking about it for months. Your action figure bringing uh, the franchise to life here at the Figures Toy Company uh, and their wrestling legends line that they have. We've been talking about it. We've seen them out at the conventions and the shows. Uh, the actual articulation is off the charts, but not to mention the fact that now there's a Francine doll coming soon and the uh, plethora 
of wrestling names that are a part of this Figures Toy Company line. You know, I can't wait to hopefully do a couple of cool things here in the coming weeks of Figures Toy Company. But Shane, we're imploring everybody to get over to figurestoycompany.com and check out the Shane Douglas figure because every time we get to see it, it's always special. And uh, whether it's the tattoos or the tassels on the boots, they left no stone unturned when they put that franchise figure together. Well, that's true. And, and did you see, I, I saw today announced from figures that they'll be doing a Chris Candido figure as well. Oh, very nice. All right. So, yeah. So we're inching closer and closer. But figures, you know, clearly they're on the forefront of out there pushing the the stars that everybody remember. And, you know, the especially from ACW. But beyond that, I mean, they're going back and they're bringing these guys and women like Francine back to the forefront because they can see the following from the audience. So kudos to the Figures Toy Company for that. And like like Chad said, you know, go over to the Figures Toy Company website and check out what's going on there. And, you know, there's a lot of big things coming from them. And, uh, you know, we're happy to be uh, uh, doing business with them and, you know, maybe have a, maybe Chad, do you have anything uh, to add tonight as far as uh, things to come? Yeah, we're finalizing a few details right now, but in the next uh, coming weeks, we'll hopefully have a, a nice little uh, little tie-in here with the Figures Toy Company and the Triple Threat Podcast, as well as with the Two Man Power Trip. We uh, we want people to go out and be a part of this line because it's bringing to life those folks that haven't had that same exposure that the WWE Mattel line has had. And that's one thing I've been able to talk about with Figures Toy Company is that the buyer who is the casual fan of wrestling or who is the hardcore fan of wrestling, they're still collecting stuff. And when they think of the figures that they want to get, they think of the guys they haven't seen. So they think of the Shane Douglases of the world. They think of the Chris Candidos, the Francines. And they think of guys out there on the scene right now like a Tamatanga in New Japan or, or some of the up-and-coming right. stars those are the ones that you want to display. Those are the ones that you want to be proud of. And that's why this pairing with Figures Toy Company and, and what we're looking to do here in the next couple of weeks is going to be so special. And we're going to work our asses off to get people to go over to the Figures Toy Company, explore the Wrestling Legends line, the future stars of Wrestling line, as well as, I mean, the amazing brands they have under the Figures Toy Company umbrella. Have you ever heard of Kiss? Have you ever heard of the DC Comics universe? <laughs> They've got everybody. I even saw tonight, Shane, this is great. Maybe we can get one of these. They have three Stooges licensed action figures, a part of the Figures Toy Company line. So think about that. All under one roof, and we'll hopefully be bringing this all to you in the coming weeks. We're finalizing some details now, but please, we implore you to stay tuned and go over to figurestoycompany.com. Check out the line. Check out all the great things they have, and we will have some news for you here in the coming weeks because uh, we want your action figure line to get their ass franchise, right? And mo Yeah, absolutely. And most importantly, make it worth the fans' while to go to that site through the, uh, the, the podcast because uh, you know the one thing I've, I've come to learn is that the fans that are out there that have followed this great sport for so long, they're incredibly loyal. And, you know, they've got to that point now where they become collectors and they want, you know, everything, you know, legitimate, you know, ring robes and tights and boots and all of that. But they also want stuff they can't get their hands on, like you mentioned. And so when you see the excitement online, when after they figures toy company announces that you know, they're putting out a Francine, uh, the Queen of Extreme action figure. And now today, 
you know, the buzz that I saw in the Chris Candido figure, uh, the same thing, Mikey Whipwreck and the blue mini figures and, you know, all the rest of them, you add in Kiss and all the rest of these guys. Uh, for the fans that follow our careers, but also are fans of the industry and just entertainment in general, figures toy company someplace you don't want to go because you don't want to see all these incredible figures that, that they have out there. And, you know, that they really do go to that extra mile to make sure they have the accuracy of that figure going in. You know, so like I look at the, the tattoo my figure has. It is exact carbon copy. It was taken right from a picture I took of my tattoos and sent to them. Uh, you know, that kind of attention to detail, I think it's something that by and large, the bigger companies have moved beyond as long as it sort of looks like uh, like a person and, you know, they have the sort of colors and just in general, it doesn't matter, apparently. But figures go that extra mile. So by all means, head over to their site and check it out. And if you see something like the Chris Candido announcement or the Francine announcement or the Mini Doll or the Whipwreck Doll, the franchise figure, uh, you know, make a comment. Leave a comment there. Let them know that you like what you're seeing. If there's something you're concerned about, leave a comment because I can tell you from my experience, that figures is very uh, interested to hear that feedback. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, like I said, still ironing out some details, so stay tuned, and uh, hopefully we'll be talking a lot more about it here in the coming weeks. But we also want to send you over to ProWrestlingTees.com where you can get your official franchise Shane Douglas T-shirts as well as you can get the Triple Threat Podcast T-shirts. And uh, I got a couple ideas for some promotions when it comes to getting the t-shirts as well as, how about this? This is another thing we haven't really gotten into yet. And I, I got to get a little more pen to paper here and get with the, uh, the, the brain trust of the show. We got to get some reviews out there on iTunes of this show. And it helps with the rankings. It helps with the show exposure. So if you listen to this and you have a couple of minutes, head on over to the iTunes page on the Two Man Power Trip site and get over and give us a review for this show. We'd love to hear the feedback. Uh, but like I said, it also helps with the rankings and how the show is perceived on those iTunes charts. So please uh, take a minute and do that for us if you don't mind. And if you want to throw a question our way, he, you can email us at thetriplethreatpod at gmail.com or you can hit us up on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip, at the Franchise SD, at Wrestling Pal, or at the Number Three Threat Pod. So you've got a ton of ways to reach out and touch us. We're very interactive. I mean, Shane is literally on top of all those notifications that he gets, which I can only, that's got to be a second job for him at this point with all the people that, <laughs> that he responds to. And uh, again, the feedback's been off the charts and we just, uh, we appreciate everything and hope you can give us some in the review page on iTunes and uh, just keep on interacting with us. Cause we appreciate every single one of you. So Shane, before we uh, we get into the wrap up here, uh, please share with us where you're going to be out in the wild this week, doing your thing in that squared circle that we know as a professional wrestling ring. Well, the wild this weekend, I decided to take a second weekend off. I I decided it was time that time of the summer where it's a little bit hot. The uh, the kids are off school, so maybe spend some time with the kids. So this is a rare double weekend off for the franchise. So. The answer to your question is no place. The franchise will be hanging with uh, a couple fine young men that I love to death, and I, I can't think of anything better. Well, Shane, I appreciate you saying that about me, but I don't know if I can make it up to Pittsburgh. <laughs> I don't know if John can make it either. I think we got plans this weekend. But uh, no, enjoy, <laughs> enjoy your time off and uh, rest up because next week we got a huge, 
Huge show, episode 57, featuring the Gary Wolf saga. So we are going to cover it from uh, A to Z and in between. And JP and his crack research is, uh, is already at it. So uh, stay tuned for that. It's going to be one hell of a show. Now let's wrap it up, Shane. I'm going to hand it over to you. Take us out in only the way the franchise can, and we'll see you next week on episode 57. 56 big episodes, but on number 57, you've asked for it. Now you're getting it. All the lowdown on the big shoot promo and the big shoot uh, angle that ECW conducted with Gary Wolf in the franchise, Pitbull number one in the franchise, and that time that I grabbed him and shook him one, two, three, four, five, threw him down before the ECW arena erupted in white heat. You want to hear the lowdown? Get right here next week, because right here at this same bat time, this same bat tail, this same franchise place. Or get your ass franchised. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.